everybody, and welcome to this installment of the TCU Neely School Business Real Estate Webinar. Uh, my name is Carl Pankratz, and I am an adjunct professor at TCU, and I'm also the managing director and president of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. So today we have a guest who's been a uh, friend for over probably we're at ten year mark at this point. Tyler, it's uh, and it's fun. It's fun. It's it's there's nothing like kind of growing with somebody in the industry. And I'm excited to kind of go over what Tyler has. But before that, I do want to talk about a little bit about TCU. Uh, so Christina Rangel-Batista, for a lot of you guys know, uh, she's the uh, my, my right-hand person, the, my liaison to the school, and, and uh, she couldn't make it today. But um, I will say this, uh, if you've ever thought about, you know, going out and getting your MBA, um, TCU is a phenomenal place to do it. Um, it really is kind of neat. Not, not a lot of schools have the combination of a energy MBA, um, as well as the ability to obviously do what we're here doing here today. And that's uh, really discuss and learn about real estate. So um, it is a unique place. And I'm lucky to teach with a, a phenomenal uh, faculty that has experience in, in both ac academia um, and, and actively publishing papers that affect the workplace to actually practicing in, in, uh, in the real world, I guess you could say. And uh, I'm excited to bring that. So um, highly recommend the TCU program. And Christina will be on next week. So if you have any questions, obviously, please let her know. So with that, I move over to our guest today, Tyler Adams. So Tyler is the founder, managing director of Greenlight Development. Um, Tyler's going to obviously tell us a little bit about that, but, you know, Tyler has a story that I think is unique. You know, I think right out of high school, he went into a big firm architecture. So, I mean, from the age of 18, uh, he has, you know, started ground floor, kind of understanding commercial real estate. He later went back to school, um, and, and got a degree, but, uh, you know, he's really been active in the market since he was 18 years old. And uh, obviously, you can see from the gray hairs, he's much older than that now. Thanks. But um, very diverse background from architecture uh, to development um, to design. Um, there's just a lot of things that, that I see Tyler bring to, to my clients and his clients on a daily basis. So excited to have uh, Tyler join us today. So Tyler, with that, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, uh, you, you mentioned I started at, at 18. It was it was 17, actually. Uh, my, my first day at uh, at Corgan, I remember it kind of well because it was June 14th, 96. And uh, that was also the same day that the dart rail opened. And uh, and I was at a firm called Corgan Associates, who was in at the time a uh, an old John Deere factory in Deep Ellum or not. Sorry, not Deep Ellum in the West End. And, uh, you know, plate glass windows, you could hear right through it. And there were people like turning the wrong way on the dart rail, like every five seconds. And you'd hear like these train blasts. And that went on for like two months, I think. Uh, so very memorable day for, for me, my first day in an office and, uh, and nobody could get any work done. Well, um, give a snapshot on Greenlight <laughs> as well. Um, well, you know, I, I started my uh, I, I started Greenlight kind of uh, out of I, I had worked for a general contractor for about eight years at that time, um, and uh, another firm bought us, and they had this uh, they had a 
kind of a leadership coach and, and I was put into this, uh, you know, director level position. And this guy like went through and talked to all the division heads and I was one of them. He's, he's like, you know, you're, you're kind of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess I, I, I am. And he's like, do you, do you ever think you would open your own company? And I said, yes, just like, no, no real question about it. And he's like, so do you think you're going to do that when you're 45 and you've got a wife and kids in tow, or are you going to do it when you're, you know, how old was I? Let's call it 35. You know, are you going to do it when you're 35 and, you know, you, you don't know who you're going to marry and like, you don't really have a care in the world. And, uh, and that got me started down the path. You know, uh, I set out to, you know, I had been an architect for a long time at that point. I had kind of cut my teeth in, uh, general contracting and, uh, and yeah, I started talking to folks. I, you know, I talked to a couple of old clients to kind of figure out, you know, how I'm going to, how I'm going to pay the bills for the next couple of years. Uh, and, they were on board, you know, to come with me and support me. And so I started, I started Greenlight with the intent of, uh, of small kind of ur urban infill development, but at the same time, leveraging my expertise and license and all that as an architect and a real estate broker to kind of pay the bills because it takes a really long time for, uh, for development to, to pay off, you know? So, um, so that's that's kind of how it got started, and uh, right out of the gate, I ended up with a sixty or well, it turned into about a fifty thousand square foot medical office building in South Lake, and I was the designer on that. And then there were a couple of apartment buildings, and and you know things just kind of slowly but surely moved along. Uh, and then in the process, I got married. I uh, had a had a son. He's four now, and. Uh, it's been it's been a ride. It's been a challenge at times. It's been a challenge last year in particular, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a fun ride. And uh, and and somehow I'm I'm really lucky to have worked on a lot of different projects and, and kept my relationships going. And um, it took a while, but you know my first development project came out of the ground um, as a self storage building, uh, and I've got several others in the works now. So that's kind of that's kind of the the short story yeah the funny thing about your son uh, I'll kind of bring up is is really you know you've been obviously very involved but so involved that you know he, he really you as you're building your business you're bringing him as a toddler and as a baby in the carriage to sit in high level you know developer meetings right so yep. I kind of feel like you know at some point uh, you know while others are are putting together Lego sets. Uh, I think your son's going to be actually writing the pro formas and putting together the business plan. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to like work on Excel and it's, it's a little bit of a challenge right now, but you know, he'll, he'll get it. He'll get it. Yeah. By five, yeah. he's going to be in. Um, but yeah, uh, the first, uh, the first boardroom he was in, he was two weeks old. Uh, so, and actually he's here in the office with me now because uh, after, after COVID, the, uh, the, the school decided, you know, they're not going to do aftercare anymore. So I pick him up at three and bring him back to the office and we have our fun. Yeah, that's great. Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council and acquisitions. Thus, Unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. 
Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's national network of lenders and equity providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call, 806-438-7194, or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com. You know, so I, kind of, you know, obviously it's, 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 you've started, you know, you talked about how you started it and why you started it. And, and you all, you obviously have now have a few projects under your belt. So, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the, the medical office that you've done and then you've mentioned some of the apartments, but, you know, on the, on the multifamily front, let's kind of go there. Sure. You know, on the, on the product that you're seeing today, you know, is it garden? Are you seeing a lot of wrap? Um, kind of what, you know, what, what's coming out of the ground that you think is kind of becoming, you know, obviously, you know, in the eighties, it's pretty obvious to see what product type was in the eighties. So if you're going to characterize so far into the 2010s and into the 2020s, you know, what, what are you kind of building more of? Well, um, you know, I, I will say more in the 2010s, uh, it was podium and, and, and rap, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I started to get into the garden and still kind of following following suit a little bit with podium stuff that that really didn't come out of the ground. I want to say, you know, the the big successful stuff that I that I've done in the last couple of years has has been garden, um, and a lot of that's been um, pretty. Um, it's been very successful, uh, you know, and, and I and I see that going into the future. Like I feel like. I feel like a lot of the rent shift is going to, or I should say the real estate, real estate shift is going to go from, you know, from the employer to the employee. And so getting bigger units and things like that are going to be important to, you know, professionals who need that extra space. And, you know, you're not going to see, you know, big old three bedrooms in, um, you know, in, in podium style uh, units. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that's that's going to be like the major trend, but I think that's going to continue to push, you know, the the garden stuff along for a while, um, as well as just, you know, kind of real estate prices and and the and new construction prices catching up to real estate and to rent, you know, kind of that that chase that's going on right now. Um, you know, the, the higher density stuff will eventually price out where it stops making sense. So, I mean, you know, kind of staying on design, one piece obviously is, you know, kind of what we're doing today. You know, there's there's these Zoom rooms, right? So you've, you've seen, you know, more of a need for a study. You mentioned now there might be more of a need for, for bigger square footage. But, you know, at, at the same time, um, you know, builder, you know, builder, you know, footprints, you know, they're not necessarily changing, right? The, the same acreage is the same acreage. You're still trying to make units work. So, you know, are you seeing sacrifices in other areas? Are you seeing, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, maybe less three bedrooms, two bigger, two, you know, bedrooms and maybe highlighting the study Zoom room or, you know, is there, is there anything in the, you know, obviously every, every kitchen, for example, it seems like now it's, it's subway tile. And then after a few more years, it's a different kind of subway tile. Right. You know, so, right. you know, there's, you're starting to see the kind of the same elements and a lot of difference. So, you know, can you talk about maybe, you know, as, as much as 2010 was 2010, what 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 changes are you seeing now and and maybe project demand going forward i think there's there's a little bit more you know thoughtful design on space you know instead of you know just okay here's here's your kitchen here's your living room here are your bedrooms and here's your bathroom uh you really start to work on you know 
where's all your technology going? Where's your, where's your workspace? You know, how does, how does this unit fit in with the rest of your suite of, of tech, right? So, uh, you know, not only your computer, but, you know, charging stations, uh, smart appliances, like all that other stuff, um, you know, you, on one of the last projects I worked on, you know, we worked a lot with this, this consultant that had everything tie into your phone and it was a property wide, um, kind of smart home system where, where everybody there in that 277 units had the same app and operated their, their unit off of this same system. So, you know, uh, you're right in that the footprint may not necessarily change, but the program probably will over time. Um, and then, like I said, thoughtful space, spacing of like where, where you're going to work, where you're going to relax. And because as, you know, as we've all been kind of stuck working from home, a lot of times you need that separation of space to keep your sanity. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's kind of if you're going to talk about design, obviously, you know, construction prices are a big part of that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it just seems like it, at one point, you know, the price of lumber um, kind of went up and you probably saw the price of steel in some cases go up. Is that is that just a, you're just going to have to trend it out and just expect it? Do you see, you know, have you heard any any declines based on maybe a, a lack of, of tariffs in some areas moving forward or? You know, kind of what are your overall you know thoughts on maybe projecting construction prices as well you know uh i started uh i started working in general contracting in 2006 so that was another big boom time uh and then i saw you know obviously we saw the big dip and all that and what i've really learned from that and from this cycle as well is that uh materials providers are extremely savvy and if demand goes down, they shut down factories and that, you know, and that pushes your demand back up. And so, you know, your supply goes down and, and you end up with parity pricing. If you look at every single cycle from most of the, you know, the common construction data sources, you're going to see that it just keeps on going up. It never goes down as a trend. You might on occasion time something just right. And I've done it before, but that's really lucky. And so, you know, on a whole, real estate prices go up because they're not making any land anymore. And, you know, and same thing with, with construction prices. Um, it, it's, it's just the reality of, you know, the reality of the business. Mm. Random question, but you know, you've seen videos definitely coming out of China in which they're now constructing large scale buildings in full modular. Um, mm -hmm. So, you're, you know, you're starting to see modular pick up. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen over my career, you know, financing for modular homes. Um, obviously, you know, you've, you've seen a lot in manufactured housing communities. But now, right. you've, you know, those homes in the manufactured housing communities, if you've, you've seen a double wide you know, anytime lately, you know, those double wides can now have fireplaces, they can have rooftop decks. I mean, things that are, I mean, it's, it's cutting edge, but you know, if you could take that to the single family, well, like I said, there's videos where it was completely constructed and modular and they put together a hotel room in like three days or so. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, you're starting to see innovations in modular construction and obviously modular construction could help 
you know, with turnaround time, it can sell with, you know, potentially design and construction costs. But it seems like, you know, we're still a ways away from that. But we, from your we viewpoint, are, what are you seeing? Well, with, with I've actually spent a lot of time working on trying to get modular to work. Uh, and it works in markets that are extremely, extremely expensive on the labor side. Um, what, what I see right now is that, you know, if you parody it to on-site construction, uh, the problem with modular is that you pay for it all up front, right? And so now you're paying interest on all this stuff that's going to take four months to build. And sure, it, it comes out to the site and it only takes two weeks, but the overall schedule is the same and you're and you know and you're paying for that money way up front as opposed to this kind of you know uh, you know kind of sloped schedule uh so any savings in construction that we've seen thus far gets eaten up by interest uh and, and just time and yeah it looks really cool that like this thing went up but you know still there are a bunch of people in a factory you know if it's if it's 10 miles away or if it's a thousand miles away who've been working on this thing, you know, and, and then it, and then it comes to the site. So, um, at best I've seen it at parity, um, at least in, in the, in the Southwest, you know, in mm. kind of last topic under this category, you get asked all the time about affordable housing. And I think just to kind of circle back everything you've kind of mentioned here, it's construction costs are going up. You know, real estate's going up. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes very difficult to find labor. So in order to entice labor, in order to acquire construction costs, in order to you know buy land, especially in an expensive time, um, it's just it's it's virtually impossible for you now to try to construct something, even with the latest and greatest materials that has affordable rents. Right. Um, and and so can you kind of talk? You know, obviously there's programs like the the four percent nine percent tax credit, and you know there's there are some pro, but for the most part. You know, without kind of going through the tax credit program or, you know, maybe some of these other, you know, subsidy, it's just hard to, to, to build cheaply. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, there are there are things that I don't it doesn't matter if you build your house out of stone or if you build it out of paper mache, your plumbing's going to be the same. You know, your utilities are going to be the same. Your tap to the to the. Uh, to the city services, all that stuff's going to be the same. You know, uh, your your bathroom could cost more because you have tile from Italy, but then like if you've got you know tile from IKEA, you've still got a toilet, you've still got sinks, you've still got showers, you've still got you know tubs, and so like you know that gap between um, between a premium product and a um, and a baseline product is is actually pretty small, and that's why mm. you see like all the new construction really going towards the upper or upper middle markets is just because the money's not there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing to say, but like without heavy subsidies and it's, and it's not really, I don't think it's more on the cost side. It's more on the rent side, like affordable housing is, is a serious problem. And that's not even, we're not even talking about real estate prices, you know, and yeah, Dallas is a great example of like real estate prices being at one level here and, you know, and at the three elementary schools that are um, that are OK, you know, in DISD, they're way up here. You know, I mean, so you're, you're buying like a 900 square foot shack for six hundred thousand dollars in those in those elementary school districts. So it's 
yeah, I mean, that that's a whole different problem altogether. Yeah. Now, one, you know, one mechanism to, to kind of help developers um, with capital up front is the HUD program. So obviously, you know, from what I do, um, I, you know, I originate HUD loans. So I originate both refinances and I originate here what we'll talk about new construction HUD loans. But um, I mean, from your viewpoint, you see it, you see the so many intricacies that you have to deal with. And what's special about HUD is, is they call it the three-legged stool as far as what you need. Um, you really need an, an experienced general contractor, architect along the journey if possible. Um, but, you know, a lot of people try to, to obviously try to be their own GCs. But if you're going to do that, you have to have an architect experience like Tyler is, because as we'll talk about, there's there's so many different nuances. Um, obviously, there's Davis-Bacon wages. So in, in a place like Texas, um, you're not necessarily paying union wages. Um, so you're not paying your subs as much. However, when you enter into the into a HUD loan, um, that is now the case. You you know you're gonna have to pay Davis-Bacon wages, and and also um, sometimes these loans themselves can take around 12 months to close, so it's a little longer. So you really need to you know have the land and be able to go through the journey, and uh, you know. But obviously you're you're locking in, and you know, on a market rate deal, you can get potentially up to 85% loan to cost. Uh, it's a 40-year loan with a 40-year amortization. You know, probably going to be in the in the you know high threes, low fours. You know, today, and that's locked in for the foreseeable future. Great prepay. So there's a lot of great programs. But you know, Tyler, let's talk about tips. Tips for for developers looking to to use HUD and, and from your space as an experienced architect in HUD. Kind of what advice would you give them? Well, I, I mean, yes. Overall, it costs it, it, there. There's less equity going into a HUD loan because you've got, you know, you know, instead of a a thirty percent, a thirty five percent raise, you're looking at a fifteen percent raise or something like that, right? But you know, you've got to get all your third parties done before that loan closes. So HUD makes it at least good in that you've got these like milestones to hit where you're like, well, okay. For the first milestone, which is kind of your your feasibility, you got to get the land under control, and then you've got to like get your density kind of figured out, and you need a site plan and some things that make it look like you know what you're doing, right? And so you could get that fairly cheaply, but then you then you go to an invitation to apply, and now you're now you're checking all these other boxes, but then by the time your loan closes, you've got to have full construction documents you and and that's all and all your third parties as far as you know all the the due diligence that you have to do for the for the site and all that stuff and you have to be ready to roll like very fast you know i mean it's it's within 30 days you got to be turning dirt once you once you go and you sign those documents at the head office you know they're they're it's this big deal and everybody's like yay and everybody's and then they're like you're you're getting out there tomorrow right you know, I mean, you've, you've, you've got to be ready. So it, you know, there's the overall raise is less, but it's not like you can do it on a shoestring budget either, you know, and, and you've got to be, it's, it's not just being able to outlay that sort of money, but it's also having the patience to know that that's going to take, it's going to take a year, you know, I mean, it's taken a year in bad times. I mean, in good times and, you know, even, even with, even with seasoned professionals, HUD is taking the taking the long course on all their deals to make sure that they're 
you know, that, that they're sustainable. So it's, it's a patience game more than anything else, I think. Yeah. Are there any, any kind of maybe stories that you've had on the past of, of maybe some of the issues you've encountered or, or, you know, kind of maybe bring up just, you know, maybe a couple of things to potentially really focus in on and watch out for? Um, you know, I, I would say one of the more difficult processes that I went through was uh, starting a project as a conventional deal. And then it then the client decided to do a HUD project. And we, you know, they basically took everything that was done to date and shoved it through the process. And it was, and, and it caused a lot of heartache. And when I say a lot of heartache, meaning it took a lot longer, you know? So it's like, if, if, if you're going to do a HUD deal, you need to decide up front that you're going to do it and you need to be prepared to do it. Um, you know, they've got, they've got a lot of weird, you know, like storage in the closets and a lot of other stuff that, you know, it, it's just these like tiny little details, but they, they need to be taken care of. You need to get all your boxes checked and, um, and it's, and it's not just with design, it's with process. And, you know, they've got, they, they follow different guidelines than the building code, right? I mean, you've got to, you've got to do like your, your radon remediation and, and, you know, stuff like that, that you don't really look, see in the, um, in the, uh, in just the private world. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's kind of, uh, other than that, it's, it's been, it's pretty, it, what I like about the HUD process is that they've got their checkboxes and you just go through them. You know, I mean, that's, that's so much, even though there's a lot of steps and all that stuff, it's so much better to do that versus um, maybe working with, with a city or somebody else that does not codify their stuff. And they're just like, well, you can't do that. It's like, where does it say that you can't do that? And they're like, I'm saying you can't do that. And then you're just, you know, I mean, it's, so there that that's that's what I like about their process is that you know it's it's predictable you know at least <laughs> <laughs> I just describe it as it's kind of like going to the DMV you kind of right. just be prepared for it <laughs> uh you know kind of you know last topic on on kind of design and construction uh there's been so much focus now on not just on the inside but I'd say really one of the recent trends is the a real focus on the outside so you know, the, the outdoor amenities, green space, you know, it's it's your grilling area, what the pool looks like, you know, high emphasis on resort pools. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been interesting to kind of see that transform. I remember kind of my last days on city council, um, you know, we'd, you know, and passed a, a form-based code. And, and a big part of that form-based code was, you know, basically trying to have as much green space as possible in every single project. Because mm-hmm. we, the hope would be, one of the one of the philosophies would be, you know, the more people, you know, the more green space, the more likely people are going to come outside of their homes, interact and build a sense of community. So um, can you talk about maybe, you know, what you're seeing being built outside um, of the units and, and maybe, you know, what you're seeing on new, recent trends in green space, et cetera? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff hitting me in the head at once. So let me try to get it all out in an orderly fashion. Um yeah, definitely outdoor parks and, you know, one of the big trends, and this is more of an, an arcing trend over the past 20 years has been, you know, being pet friendly and dog parks and stuff like that. I mean, when I first started looking at apartments, um, 
you know, nobody allowed pets in apartments there. I mean, cats may, but like no dogs, <laughs> no dogs. And, and now, now that's expected, you know, and it's not just expected that you allow dogs, but you've got to have space for them to go out. You've got to have dog parks. You've got to have this, that, and the other. And like being pet friendly and understanding that that's a part of, you know, a, a, a renter's family is, has been a, a big change. Uh, that's, that's not sudden it's, it's been going on for a while and I'm really happy to see that, you know, every, every single, um, you know, ground up that I've been a part of for the past 10 years has always been pet friendly. Um, uh, you, you mentioned resort pools and yeah, that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal like it. Uh, and they're not only built and it's not it, what, what pools used to be. And then fitness centers used to be have just been check boxes, right? It's like you, you, you walk your prospective tenant through, it's like, up oh, there's the pool. Yep. There's a pool. And then there's like this tiny little workout room. That's all mirrors to make it look bigger, but it's just like this, you know, you know, 400 square foot room. It's like, yep, there's the workout room. You're never going in there. I know you're not, you know, and then you, you, you walk and you, and you, and you check out the unit, but, but now, yeah, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, spend time outside, spend time at the pool, meet people at the pool. And, 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 and those spaces have really become kind of hubs of those communities. And it's been really great to see. Um, green space is becoming more and more important. Um, as an anecdote, like um, with the city of Fort Worth, for example, they look at an apartment complex and they're like, okay, there are, call it 300 households here. So our goal is to have like a certain amount of green space per resident, right? So they look at, you know, your community and they're like, you're bringing 300 households here. So we need to build like this many more square feet of buy land of parks. So on that particular project, they were going to charge $1.5 million park fee, you know, which was kind of a hiccup right uh -huh. but the way that we did you know and the way that we built the units and the, the way that we cited the site instead of having you know this garden apartment complex that was all spread out we kind of we made everything a little bit more compressed did a really large you know pool and then had like an acre and a half of open space and um and provided dog park provided um Provided actually on-site car washes, uh, dog washes as well, uh, mm -hmm. and just like all these little amenities. But you know, when you when you looked at it in the greater grand scheme of things, the city was like, "This is you are the first and only." And this was in 2018 um, apartment complex to get our maximum reduction of the park fee, uh, and it and it, wow. you know, and so it's not just important to the communities like internally, but cities are starting to look at it. And be like, you know, in order for our citizens to be happy, you know, we need to provide, you know, enough green space. And if if you don't provide it, you're paying for it, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Well, Tyler, you know, we have a couple, you know, about 10 minutes left. I do want to kind of talk a little bit more theoretical. So, you know, a lot, you know, there's a range of people that, that listen to this. But, you know, I do uh, allow my students to to listen to this and it is part of our curriculum. So always, always like to ask the question, you know, what, you know, now you're sitting on your purview of, you know, a couple decades of real estate experience. And um, so looking back kind of, you know, you know, whether it's brokerage, whether it's development, whether it's architecture, you know, whether it's, 
you know, for me, you know, it's, it's having that mindset of, of investment, you know, seeing that, you know, you're working in some of these deals, you know, can you potentially, you know, invest some of your own money in some of what you're working on, which, you know, at a young age, you might not have thought about. So kind of from all these different perspectives, what would, a uh, what would you, you know, today tell a 25-year-old Tyler Adams about commercial real estate or advice? Huh. Um, I guess <clears throat> one of the things that I would tell my old self would be to not stop trying. I felt like I pitched a, a lot of stuff early trying to be a developer and, you know, pitched it to one or two or three different people, uh, you know, who could be potential investors and they took a pass on it for whatever reason and some of them gave great great feedback and and some not so much and then i you know you know you drop the contract and then you watch exactly what you um you envision get built by somebody else you know so it's like somebody was out there you know somebody somebody was out there wanting to do that um and and you know that your instincts were good you just you know you didn't try hard enough it was like you know two or three people and you know you get you get turned down two or three times and then I, I, I kind of gave up. I'm, I'm a natural introvert. It took me a really long time to, um, to fake it, you know, and, and be social and not just, not just, you know, crawl into my cave and turn off the lights. Uh, so, you know, that, that would be kind of, you know, in hindsight, the, one of the, one of the things that I would have changed, um, you know, my, my path has been kind of weird. It's extremely hard to move from architecture to development, uh, particularly just from a, um, just from a, a perception standpoint, you know, I mean, I'll, most people that are real estate investors see architects as, uh, as consultants and, um, and don't really know, um, the ins and outs of, of the rest of the, of the process. Uh, and, and so that transition was difficult. I think it made it a little easier working as a general contractor for a while and building my own designs. Um, but uh, I, I probably should have made that transition a little earlier, but not too much. Mm. So those, those are kind of my first, my first thoughts at berating my younger self. <laughs> it's so funny to hear you talk about being an introvert when I actually, you know, when we met 10 plus years ago, it was on the set of a commercial. So oh, yeah. very, <laughs> that's very funny, very funny to hear that now. Uh, you know, last question, I get asked this a lot, um, industry groups. So you are blowing and going uh, with, you know, kind of building green light. But, you know, there's kind of two things. Number one is you have to get business, you know, no matter what you're, you know, it's great to have all this knowledge, but you have to have business. So um, that's a piece of this, but, you know, kind of, what industry groups, where do you spend your time? You know, what's, what's worth attending? What's not worth attending? You know, what's kind of helped your career? What's maybe not helped your career? Kind of just talk about kind of what you do outside of necessarily kind of, you know, drawing plans to, to both grow in your industry, grow your business. And, and also I would say kind of, you know, maybe help others if you will. Right. Right. I would, I would say that, um, Strictly networking groups are not like, at least have not really worked for me. Uh, the, those are kind of, you know, I'm not going to call out anyone in particular, but like these groups and, and then you get together and then everybody thinks that, you know, you should generate business for each other just because you're in that group. Um, and, and, 
those have not been very beneficial to me. I would say that what I prefer to do is look somewhere where I can serve and do what I do best to help other people. And you find that, you know, if you have staying power and continue to do that, you'll meet other people who have been doing that and they value that. And, and, you know, you, you meet other, and they don't, and, and just because you do, doesn't mean that, you know, you've got to pass business to them either. Uh, it, it's one of those things that, you, you know, it, that's a real relationship builder as opposed to like active, active, just networking. So like ULI is great for that because, you know, ULI has a lot of ways to serve. Uh, the real estate council is like that because there are lots of ways to serve. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say, you know, find a way to serve and do it in a way that you enjoy it. Um, and that's, that would be my advice, you know? Yeah. Well, with that, Tyler, what I miss? What are some closing thoughts? Um, I don't know. I mean, one of the closing thoughts I have is, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been a rough couple of years, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, things are finally turning around for me. And sometimes at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's just, sometimes success comes if you're still standing right so find a way to survive <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, it, it it's kind of hard it's kind of hard being a business owner you know with with a wife and kid who you know i mean who expect you to you know be at home and be there for them and also you know bring home a constant paycheck and stuff like that and it's it, uh, to be really brutally honest, I mean, that's not the way it works as, you know, a small business owner. Uh, and it's just, it's, it, it, it's a tough path. Uh, you just have to learn to learn to deal with it and, and get the, get the people around you to understand that, you know, and, and, and see it through. Uh, so I, I think that that's, uh, it's the best thing I could say in closing is just, you know, it, everybody's got to be on board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a, what a great way to end it. Tyler, I'm, I'm lucky to call you a friend and we, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and thank you. Um, Tyler, uh, you know, obviously, you know, what's the, if, if somebody wanted to reach you, you know, how could they reach you? Um, so, uh, I guess the easiest thing to do is go to, go to my website, which, um, which it's, it's kind of a shortened website. That's really hard to say over this. Is, uh, my son is showing up here. Um, hold on, man. I just need like a couple more minutes. Um, so, uh, it was shortened. It's hard to say over the phone. So I found like a way to easily like do a little alias for it. It's greenlight.company. Uh, and, and you can get to my website that way. And that's got kind of all, all of my information on it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, portfolio and all that good stuff. Perfect. Well, with that, Tyler, I appreciate your time today. And uh, thanks for everybody that tuned in. Thank you very much. Thanks, Carl.